0: Hello and welcome to Late Night Talks, a weekly podcast talking to science fiction and fantasy authors about their creative process and how they got started in publishing. I talk to traditionally published and self-published authors about their influences, their inspirations and their latest work. My guest this episode is Nicholas Eames. He's the author of Kings of the Wild, and The Bloody Rose. These are his debut novels from Orbit Books and he's currently in the process of writing the third book in this series. This interview was originally carried out in December 2020. Hello and welcome to another late night talk. My guest this evening is Nicholas Eames. Hello, thanks for having me. Thanks, thanks for coming on. Uh, I sent a re- request out to everybody and asked them for questions. And we got a lot of questions on uh, social media. And I got a few of some Discord channels that I'm on. Um, so I'll fire them at you as we go along. But I'll start with a, a good question that I usually ask at the beginning, which is...
1: Oh, in case anyone wonders, by the way, it is very, very late at night. These are just floodlights. Behind
0: yeah, yeah, late, late at night. That's why we're both um, hardcore drinkers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there could be adult, adult language. This is your only warning. They're possibly maybe adult language. Yeah. Let's just say that. Okay.
1: So. I have a quick question for you before we get started. Oh,
0: okay. It's, Go on. This
1: stuff reminded me of it. It has the art of the indigenous Pacific Northwest peoples on it. Oh. And uh, you came to my country, Canada, a while ago to watch bears. Is that
0: true? I've been twice in two years, the last two yeah. years. That's amazing. <laughs> you plan to come again? I'd move there tomorrow if I could, but, oh, you know. Well. I really can't. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um I've explored Vancouver pretty much end to end now. We walked around Stanley Park. We did like the long circuit around the outside. Yeah. And, and we by the time we got back and checked, I think we'd walk like 14 miles around the city. <laughs> it's like yeah. that's when my feet really hurt. Yeah. Oh
1: Vancouver's beautiful. I lived there for 16
0: years. Oh wow. We went yeah. to Granville Island. We went around all of the craft shops, and we said, "Right, we'll go to the brewery." And we got there, yeah. we at the front door, and it said, "Due to a problem, there's been some kind of leak. We're closed today." I uh, like, um. we're only here today. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, the thing it. about that is, you can go to every single restaurant around it, and that's all they're serving anyway. So
0: it's true. I went to like a um, a bar down on the docks. It's got like a, not far from the steam clock and something, and it had like. Beer from that brewery, so. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that was good. That was really good. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I love I love rural BC. I absolutely love it. It's just middle of nowhere, off the grid, totally quiet, surrounded by nature, you know. Yeah. That's that's pretty much heaven for me. Yeah. But you're not there anymore. You've moved. You're in Ontario yeah. now, is that right? Yeah, i to Ontario. My brother came back
1: here and started a family, and uh, basically when I got my book deal, I'd been away from my parents for... Like I said, 15 years or so and yeah. decided just to move closer to them just to be near them. I've, and I've seen them obviously more in the last three or four years than I did in the last 15 years combined. So,
0: yeah,
1: I definitely don't regret it. Even though my brother just about two months ago moved back out to British Columbia. <laughs> so i may trying to, to escape
0: you. <laughs> you yeah. took my niece and nephew with me. Right, I'm yeah. going. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did actually have a comment from, uh, your good friend, Christian Cameron. He says, uh, when are you coming out to Toronto? Cause he misses you and his friends out there miss you.
1: Oh yeah. I would dearly love to see him. I was originally going to go out there for a very, very small socially distanced wedding on the 21st of December. Ah. Uh, but I am, my plan was to come right back and spend Christmas with my mom who has, you know, she's pretty compromised. She's got bum lungs as we call it. Yep. Um, And so I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. I would have loved to go to Toronto, go to that wedding, see Christian, but I would not enjoy Christmas knowing I was possibly, you know, infecting my mom.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We've all got to be a bit careful. I'm not, I'm not going anywhere or doing anything for Christmas. So yeah,
1: but no, I'd love to see Christian soon. I went, uh, I yearn, I went once went to his, he goes to a very specific coffee shop and writes every day Right. Um, and he's kind of the same thing and take puts post Instagram pictures of his, of his breakfast and uh, I went there with him one day and just sat right across from him. We're like, I remember like, oh, you posted this up.
0: on like Instagram and I was like, wait, they're in the same place. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, it was pretty cool. Except that, of course, I w- he was like, okay, let's see how many words we get in an hour. And 15 minutes later, he was like, okay, I'm at 1700. And I'm like, I'm at 58. And yeah, by the end of the day, I think I managed to hit my, my 500 words and he had up to 3000 or more.
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, sure. I think that's crazy. But I, mean, I was talking to Steve McHugh previously on a, on another late night talk. Go and watch it if you haven't, and subscribe. Um, and he does a book in a draft of a book in like three months. Yeah, I was like, what? So he does like thirty to forty thousand in a, every month. Knocks off a book in three months. Take a month off to rest and recharge. So he does like two books a year. His output is incredible. I Absolutely know. incredible.
1: I know. Every morning I wake up and he's posted on Facebook his word count. And uh, at least with like RJ, I used to post his word count. I'm like, well, at least he's five hours ahead, so maybe I'll hit that many. <laughs> I would never. Um, but but yeah, with Steve, it's just like, oh, I wrote three thousand words and then I finished Ghost of Toshima. <laughs> like, yeah. Um,
0: what are you like? Yeah, he's he's amazing. He's a machine. He's Absolute machine. Anyway, let's, let's go on to your writing. So okay. how did you get into reading fantasy, and then how did you get into writing it?
1: Uh, Reading-wise, it's pretty typical for someone of my demographic. It was it was Lord of the Rings. Okay. Um, yeah, I think I maybe maybe someone had read me The Hobbit or something like that, uh, and then I went and way too young tackled Lord of the Rings, so I skipped anything that was like a description of a landscape. I skipped songs, skipped. Um, but uh but i remember very vividly getting to the end of book 2 spoiler alert the last line is frodo was alive but taken by the enemy and i was just like this is insane and so i was so excited to jump into the next book immediately which half of the next book starts off with not frodo at all you have to go back to to back to uh, gondor but anyways yeah those i think were my introduction to it uh, and then writing wise Um, I started when I was in high school, uh, during English classes, I would write instead. And, uh, I had written three chapters of this story, which funnily enough, like elements of it are still in my work today. Ah. I got busted by a supply teacher like that. We had that day. And it turns out that he, his family owned a gas station, uh, that Ed Greenwood used to come by their gas station who created forgotten realms wow. and is a fantasy writer. So he was like, you know what? I know this guy. I can maybe give it to him and see if he'd like to take a look. And uh, I was like, sure. So I didn't expect to hear anything back from it. And, uh, but about three months later he gave me this whole document back uh, and Ed Greenwood had edited it very critically, like wow. very, very thoroughly and very critically, like saying things like, Oh, you had this person throw a cigarette butt into something that would have set the whole house on fire. You know, things like that. And it really kind of got me thinking. And he said in that letter that I had the fire of a good storyteller. So despite the fact that I ignored him and went to school for theater after that, um, (laughs) those words definitely stuck in my head. Um, And so, yeah, when I was done school um, and didn't turn out to be the next Tom Cruise, I uh, decided, oh, maybe maybe Ed Greenwood thinks I've got some talent here. So I'll give it a shot.
0: I got busted in uh, English literature class as well. We'd spent about six weeks dissecting The Taming of the Shrew, going through it line by line, and oh God, it was so tedious. And our reward at the end was to then watch it on video in class. Yeah. So I sat at the back of the room by the window, where I could pull the curtain back, reading The Sword of Shannara.
1: <laughs>
0: Wise idea. I got busted for that as well and sent... Yeah. So the like head teachers. So I just sat outside the head teacher's office and read the book. I was like, this is cool. I get to read for an hour in peace. Yeah. But yeah, that was just me. You know. Yeah. Uh,
1: I've been busted reading a book on the floor of a restaurant when I was working before. Oh wow. There was no one in the restaurant, and I was the only server, and I was literally standing in the middle of reading this book, and boy, did I ever
0: get in trouble. But oh dear.
1: I couldn't put it down
0: so recently you said that you the last book that you read before writing kings of the wild was ready player one mm-hmm. and you said you know just you couldn't put it down what other books inspired because i know obviously music plays a big part of the influence of your books but um what about other books particularly ready player one was you know very soon before what else has fed into it
1: yeah um, well, the two major I would say authors that fed into it were Joe Bickramby and Scott Lynch,
0: mm.
1: um, only because those books uh, had a fair bit of humor infused into them, mm-hmm. uh, and I hadn't been reading a lot of books with humor, and I sh- certainly wasn't writing something that was humorous. I'd I'd spent, you know, even while I was reading those books, I was writing this epic magnum opus <laughs> that was i keep seeing my old uh, like facebook memories pop up and it, i'm just like oh you sweet summer child <laughs> this, this nick of 2009 had finished his 320,000 word book wow and, you know just he thought he was dead sure it was going to be published and then a couple years later he'd cut it down to 270,000, and all this felt little tome that you would surely get picked up. It's just, oh, it's so stupid. Um, but yeah, so reading those guys helped make me think that uh, maybe there was room for humor in fantasy. Um, and um, and then, yeah, Ready Player One, it was just a, a case of like the pacing of that book was yeah. so, it moved and moved and moved. And then also the fact that it was like a love letter to a lot of things that that author loved. Um, mm-hmm. so when I set out to write, Kings of the Wild, it was almost like a repudiation, if I'm using that word right, of what I'd been re- writing before because it was so serious and took itself seriously. And I would never have, you know, if I told me I'd ri- write a book that had an, an orc in it, I would have been like, never. Nope. I'm far too nope. cool for orcs. <laughs> um,
0: um,
1: but then I was just like, you know what? Let's just throw some orcs in there. So I ended up throwing everything in the kitchen sink in there, which is kind of what what Ready Player One does. So.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And now we got got uh, Player Two coming soon as well. Is it is this month? Future. It's published? Yeah. yeah. Wow. God, yeah. yeah. I saw the film. I thought it was okay, but it kind of missed certain things because it had to just because of the time constraints of the film.
1: Yeah. Uh, I do like the movie. It's definitely not as good as the book.
0: Yeah, yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah. The <laughs> only way that they could have done it would have been to, like, have a six- or eight-hour miniseries instead on TV, but... Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, never mind. Oh well. So Shep asked, "How did you decide on your style of writing?" Because he said the books are written in third person, but you do predominantly from uh, one character's perspective. So you know, Clay in the first book. He said, "How did you decide on on that approach?" Uh,
1: well, I think. A lot of people do that. I mean, it, obviously, it's a choice to kind of stick in the head of one person, and maybe I guess I am in the head of that person a bit more than your average maybe third person. But I don't think too much, too much more. So it's yeah. just always how I've written. Uh, I don't think I've ever tried to write anything from a first-person perspective. Um, although I, I'm, I love books that, I love books that are written from first-person perspectives. But, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, I've never tried it myself. Uh, and yeah, it's just kind of what what came naturally
0: to me. Yeah. What, what felt, felt good. Yeah. So someone called a mad scribe has said, uh, you've described yourself as a discovery writer. So he said, how much of you, that you write gets thrown away? Do you leave gaps so you can fill them in later or do you just write it and then go back and, and rework it?
1: Um, well, that's a good question. I, I mean, it's been kind of indifferent every time. I'm still discovering as it were <laughs> uh, my style. But I mean, with Kings of the wild, I wrote it just like, it was just flooded right out of me kind of thing. Mm. Um, and then um, once it got bought by orbit, um, they asked me to add, it was by the time I, I had submitted it, um, it was 120,000 words, or maybe hundred thousand words. Yeah. 120,000 words when I fr- finished it, hundred thousand words when I submitted it. Um, but they wanted me to add 50,000 words. Oh, wow. Which is, there was like a phase they were going through at the time. They're no longer <laughs> going through that phase. Uh, <laughs> I think, More, make it
0: big book. Really
1: big. Yeah. yeah I don't, I mean, huh? cause it's, you never hear that, but for whatever reason that summer or that fall, they were looking for longer books. So I added 50,000 words, but I'm so glad I did because those 50,000 words end up being the bad guy of the book, which didn't exist before. Um, you know, it, it relied so much on tropes and cliches that the big bad of, at the end of the story was just a horde of monsters.
0: Right.
1: Um, so adding those 50,000 words enabled me to go back and, you know, put a reason for those monsters. And it it made, honestly, it made the whole book so much better. And it was the impetus for the story that came afterwards. So, mm-hmm. um, and then the same goes for Bloody Rose. Looking back, I threw a lot of that book out in the end because I wrote... I changed like the gender of the main character about halfway through mm. and then about three quarters of the way through, I changed uh, even just the first few chapters and what happened in them, which affected the main character's um, whole persona. So I had to go back and rewrite the book with that in mind. So I kept every event, but I had to rewrite every scene. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And so that I think has gotten my head a bit with this third one, because the third one I've just written about, 20 openings to the book <laughs> and need to like nail it because i don't want to um you know have to go back and wreck on it which i probably will anyway so i tend to you know nitpick as i write and then go back and nitpick again mm. so yeah I'm, I'm pretty slow
0: okay you know. which, that kind of feeds into a question from uh, lizzie she'd asked about can you talk about any scenes that didn't make the final cut so maybe maybe from the first book because King's Wild has been out for a couple of years now. So, sure,
1: yeah. I mean, there's God. Um, there's there's some Moog stuff that didn't make the final cut because Moog it was my character in the first book that was, if anything, just absolutely ludicrous. Had to happen that he was the one to do it, <laughs> right? Um, and so there was a few, and there was a, there was a lot of Moog scenes that people asked to be cut that I kept in. Like the, there's a what people okay. call the corner scene. Um. By the very first, my very first time I spoke with my agent on the phone, she's like, "I love your book, blah blah. I want to represent you. That scene has to go," and I'm like, "Sure, it's gone." You know, I was <laughs> I was willing to roll over and do whatever it took to get an agent at the time. Um. But then I talked to all the friends who had read the book so far, and they're like, "You gotta fight for that scene." So I ended up changing it a little bit and toning it down a bit, and and uh, she let me keep it. Um. But there was a scene where they were in like the middle of the heart wild and Moog had been eating these vegetables that this cannibal grew. He was a vegetarian cannibal. They meet him. He's not a vegetarian cannibal in the, cannibal in the book, but right, after okay. he was and he had this vegetable garden and Moog's been eating these vegetables the whole time. And then at the end, he's like, they're about to leave. He's like, I just need to water my plants and he starts peeing on them, <laughs> <laughs> so he waters them. and Moog like is like mid carrot. Uh, and so uh, that scene got taken out, but I loved it at the time.
0: Well, okay. Yeah. It, you know, I'm sure from a hydroponics perspective, it's probably accurate. There's, there's, you know, yeah, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's always things that you really love and you're willing to fight for. And other times you go, yeah, okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll let that go. Yeah. i refill my coffee here. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Real. real. The, the only good. acceptable thing to drink in the morning. Absolutely. Yes. As far as I know. Uh, I'll pretend mine's full of whiskey. <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> so uh, Dan has asked, "What's the, who was the hardest character to write in the books? Even though it's from a single person perspective, you haven't to write about other characters. Were there any yeah. that were particularly challenging for you?
1: Uh, that's another great question. Ultimately, I think it was um, Rose. I don't, I don't write for her, from her perspective but just her as a character to get down and, and yeah, I mean, I think there's probably people that would, well, I guess it doesn't matter if they think I failed or succeeded at it because I think I succeeded at it. So, um, but the thing is Rose is supposed to be someone who, you know, if you were touring with guns and roses, say in the late nineties, would you think Axl Rose is a great guy? You know, probably not. Um, and yet, without him, there is no Guns N' Roses, and without him, everyone in Guns N' Roses isn't what they are. If they had a different lead singer, they, they may not have, like you know, kind of impelled them to be what they became. So that's the kind of character Rose is. She's uh, she's not very typical. She you know has she's a mother that doesn't want to be a mother. She wants to be an adventurer, and you know that's one of those things that works for every guy main character. But when you see a female main character with a daughter it's like oh well shouldn't she be at home taking care of her it's like well no one said that about clay cooper in book one Uh yeah Um, so she's like that kind of character so a lot of people you know they kind of frown down on her for that Um, but you want to make this mix between someone who is does have some major flaws and is driven by their ego and they're driven by their desire to outshine their father uh, and yet hopefully create a character that looks like people would follow even if just because of their own drive and their own determination yeah, so she's a tough character to get right because you don't want her to be likable, but you don't want people to just despise her.
0: Yeah, it's that thing of some readers only follow characters if they can find something that they like, even if the person isn't particularly nice. I mean, look at Jeff Lindsay with you know Dexter. He's a serial killer. He kills people. Yeah. And you think that's awful. That's terrible. that's awful. But he's funny and he's yeah. sarcastic and you kind of yeah. like him if you forget the horrible stuff that he does. Yeah, but exactly. That's why he's done like you know twelve books and a TV series and a, and a TV series that's coming back because he's so popular. So, yeah. So it's tricky to get those
1: characters right, I think.
0: Yeah. walking that line between someone that you can follow and someone who's not just a cookie cutter? Yeah. Um, Okay. A good question from Nick, which I'm not sure what the answer to this one is. He said, what's your best tip for getting a novel from a first draft to a second draft? (laughs)
1: oh boy that's a that's a doozy I think that actually that Nick might have been myself asking myself (laughs) Son of a bitch how can you finish this this (laughs) yeah um it's funny I was talking to my mom this morning and she wanted to ask what I want for Christmas so second draft (laughs) (laughs) she's on a strict uh, she's not allowed to comment on Twitter I'm stellar she can comment on Twitter now if she wants to but I told her a while ago not to comment on Twitter because keep it (laughs) Facebook. She's too proud of me. Um, But, anyways, uh, best tip.
0: Yeah, to get first after a second draft.
1: Oh man, I have no idea. I mean, ultimately, just kind of like don't be afraid to cut whatever you did the first time around. I mean, because like I said, with you know the difference between. Lots of Kings of the Wild to the first and the second one are vastly different. Blake Rose, especially, things changed. You know, she had a brother in the book when I wrote the entire, almost the entire first thing, and she doesn't have a brother wow. anymore. So don't be afraid to like excise whole characters if required um, to suit the story, or just to shorten it. <laughs> you know, and, and improve the pacing. Uh, it's amazing how much pacing could probably be improved if a lot of writers just took a character out, and the whole story would still come off. Mm. You know? Yeah. But, um, But, yeah, otherwise, yeah, just don't be afraid to to alter it.
0: I think it was Terry Pratchett that said the first draft is you just telling the story to yourself, and thereafter it's how you tell it to someone else because it's just like you're just vomiting all the words out to get it on the page. And then when you're done, you can look back and go, what? Oh, wait, that's not right, and stop. I think that's when the real work begins sometimes. I mean, it's not to say that the first draft is easy, but... yeah. The, the difference between the idea that you had originally in your head to the first draft, there's always something different. It's like, how do I make it closer to what I was thinking or how how do I now steer it just closer to what I've actually done and it's slightly different. And it's
1: Yeah. I've seen Neil Gaiman say something like that too. That's advice that I am terrible at embracing. But, <laughs> but, but it's right here. I just need to not worry so much about my first draft. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. And get it down. That's it. Get it done. Always get it finished. Um, This isn't a a question, but it's a nice comment from someone that said, uh, called Ant, he said he listened to Kings of the Wild and he said it was a joy. He got his dad to read it. And because of through reading both of your books, his dad has now got into reading more fantasy. So he wanted wanted to thank you for that as a kind of a gateway book to get his dad back into fantasy, which is pretty cool.
1: That's kind of what I was hoping for when I, when I wrote it, I, have spent my whole life trying to get non-fantasy readers to read fantasy books. Um, (laughs) and so, you know, and the book I was writing for 16 years that never got published, it wouldn't have gotten anyone's dad into fantasy. Um, so yeah, I was trying to write a book that, that, you know, you could give to, to absolutely hopefully anyone and say, just, just give it a shot. Just try it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's always good.
1: That's really nice to hear.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. And, uh, so Mary has asked, um, if your book was turned into a TV series or a movie, who would you like to cast? Uh, you've probably been asked this before, but if you start, you know, start with the uh, Kings of the Wild, it's probably easier to cast, yeah. cast them.
1: Um, well, uh, <laughs> back, like back in the day when I, uh, announced that I had, cause I've sold the rights or the option rights, uh, to the series. Yeah. Uh, and I put like a kind of a cast out there kind of thing on, on Instagram and Twitter. And my brother did as well, because obviously we talk about it a lot. But then he did one that was just all Gary Busey for every single character, <laughs> which when you see it's just hard to say no to that. It's pretty damn good. Um, but yeah, there's certain characters that I definitely have someone kind of in mind. By no, by no means are they you know locked in or rock solid in my head. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But, I mean, God, when I was writing Calorek, I always thought about Ron Perlman for that.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Nice, nice. He's got a bit of an underbite, too, and he's got that kind of, like, lock, you know, that big, strong jaw. Mm. Um, He was, I mean, the character himself is kind of based off Peter Grant, Led Zeppelin's manager. Right. But I think Ron Perlman would do an an excellent job of it. Um, And then for someone like... Uh with Clay and Gabe, I, I have I put a couple of different versions of them out there. But um David Harbour. Oh yeah, the new Hellboy, of course. Play, yeah. The new Hellboy and I mean his role in um in Stranger Things, like he's good at being that like protective fathery figure. Mm. Uh he's a kind of a big bear of a man. So I think he would make a pretty good Clay Cooper. And you you need someone that's got a lot of heart. Um, and then for Gabriel, I kind of always thought that Nikolai Kosterwalder would be a great Gabriel. Ah, nice. He, he's about the right age and he's the perfect example of someone who, and Jamie Lannister himself, uh, who can look, you know, gold and shining and put together and mm. then look absolutely shit. Um, <laughs> which is what I need Gabriel to do in reverse, you know? Um, so yeah, he's got he's got that that look that can go from disheveled and that that to like, oh, you clean up you're like, oh, I can see that you were maybe once glorious you know, so, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean people definitely have suggested some really interesting ones for everyone. A lot of people, uh, Christopher Lloyd is that who I'm thinking of, Back to the Future? Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, people suggested him for Moog and Moog. while he could be... Yeah. You know, I could see people, that. <laughs> Moog in his prime, Moog isn't quite that old at the moment, so it's too bad. Mm. But I think someone like like a David Tennant or something like that could do a great (laughs) moog. Got a lot of you know that wiry energy to him. But
0: yeah, yeah. He's he's been doing that um that staged thing at home at the moment, like a stay-at-home drama thing. Him and Michael Sheen. Oh yeah. Michael Sheen's got the big crazy hair and I thought he'd be really good to like Someone who's a bit bonkers, character, someone a bit strange and weird. Yeah, he'd be really good at that. I think.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely yeah not attached to any casting or anything like that at all. And yeah, there could definitely a game I
0: could play all day. So I take it there's there's no news. The fact that it's been optioned, you you know nothing, and you can't you can't say anything. You just have to wait.
1: No, not really. I mean, there's been like there's been interest and things like that, and you know. But I'm I'm kind of the person who who like when it's not being like told to me at that moment i put it right out of my mind um i was talking to my girlfriend about it the other day and she's like you're i'd be thinking about that every day all day if someone told me like okay maybe in january and i'm just like i just can't and i honestly i honestly think it's from years and years of getting like rejections from agents like you you something in your head goes you know don't get too excited about things and don't get too distraught about things so at least in my head (laughs) so
0: well, it's that thing of if you do not you're obsessed, you know I, I I get angry for a couple of days, i I sulk and I dust myself off and crack on again. like you, I've got trunk novels that will never see the light of the day, never. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And looking at them now, I'm like, oh, yeah, I really wasn't ready, but yeah, you dust yourself off and you move forward, so yeah, exactly. Like, so yeah. what else are you gonna do, you know? You know. But
1: it's promising. The people who optioned it, they're optimistic. So I'll be optimistic for the time being.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think other people have had stuff optioned before, and they've also got, you know, they've not got it signed. Until it turns up on screen. Oh, exactly. That, the moment where people go, oh, casting. You're like, yeah, okay. And then shoot the pilot. Yeah, yeah, all right. Because that, that, was it the lock and key? This is the third pilot they've done now. That's now yeah. running as a TV show. And I'm like. You know, and that's Joe Hill. So, uh,
1: Yeah, and there's so many series out there that you're like,
0: how is this not a television show
1: yet? Or, you know, where's where's our first law show? Where's our Red Rising show? Uh-huh, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there's a lot to come before Kings of the Wild, I think.
0: <laughs> good spot. Well, I think it's optioned. It's the, that's the first step. And what happens next, you know, when it turns up on Netflix, we'll yeah. celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, Wolfie has asked: Are there any characters that you'd like to bring back for future projects? Because they said in Bloody Rose we got reunited with certain people. I won't, I won't spoil it, but mm-hmm. uh, are there any that you'd like to bring back? Not necessarily in book three, but I'm just you know in future projects.
1: Yeah. Um, well, definitely anyone who didn't isn't dead we'll probably come back we'll probably come back in book three unless I just forget them (laughs) um because you know it's 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 technically the last book of the series so you want to have everyone in there it does take place 16 years after the second book which takes place six years after the first so even the old guys that were old in the first book are now pretty much beyond I want to say beyond fighting age but And then I think back about that movie Braveheart and his father was like an old man or Murren's father, his buddy's father was an old man and Mm -hmm. still fought. So, um, yeah, there'll be lots of lots of cameos. One character I kind of like jokingly talk about dragging out over and over again is Ganelon, who in Kings of the Wild is, you know, he's been turned to stone for the last 19 years and they they thaw him out. Um, But um, he is kind of returned to that state at, at some point. And I kind of thought, I had this joking idea about writing a, like a serial series called Ganelon in Space, where years from now, these people <laughs> find this planet with the, the you know, the skeletal remains of all these fancy creatures. And, and a statue. Yeah, they think it's like some art, so they take it on board. Uh, and then meanwhile, you know, maybe some of these monsters get loose and like cause havoc in the ship. And then, you know, they, un, they thaw out Ganelon and he's got an axe on a starship and, has to just wreck shop no one's quite equipped to deal with monsters the way he is so that i I might just torture poor ganelon and let everyone he loves dies in the past and drag him on all intergalactic adventures
0: didn't they do that with friday the 13th like jason in space for one of the films and And awesome i haven't seen i think i saw advertising thought this is a joke this is this isn't real right and apparently it was Yeah. I mean, it's as good as any other Friday 13th
1: movie, I should say that.
0: (laughs) Yeah. 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 Okay, well, you never know. You know, you want to diversify into sci-fi, maybe that's, you know, that's a way to do it. I mean, whether you're in a camp or, you know, on a
1: starship, somebody with an axe is always a threat.
0: Yeah, it's never good for anybody. No. (laughs) Which brings us nicely on to book three, which you've mentioned. So is the title has the title be confirmed as outlaw empire is that right yeah Yeah. okay so what can you tell us about it is it inspired by 90s hip-hop this was a rumor i heard it's correct yeah
1: 90s music in general okay Um, so not just hip-hop right fair enough yeah so kind of like the, the first one was 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 80s and a lot of you know or sorry 70s and a lot of 70s music is you know was inspired by fantasy actually so you get a lot of that kind of rambling and adventure kind of stuff and then the eighties stuff was more about like ego and self-destructive, you know, just going nuts Mm. uh, and hard on your sleeve, kind of love and emotion. Um, And so nineties music, you know, it, it wavered between a lot of things, but a lot of it was very kind of anti-establishment and, you know, bucking back against society, whether it was grunge um, or whether it was hip hop uh, or whether it was rage against the machine, which probably deserves their own space. Mm -hmm. They're one of those bands that when I was a, you know, a young privileged high school kid, I thought these guys are terrible. Why would you want to, you know, why would you be angry at the police (laughs) now? And now I, you know, I walked down the street, ranting their songs. So, um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of all that kind of music in there and and they're definitely like going into writing Kings of the Wild. I, I hadn't listened to, I had listened to a fair amount of like, 70s rock but not yeah. as much as I obviously did and you get a huge love and you discover all these amazing songs and albums and facts and the same went for 80s and the same is going for 90s like my god I had no clue like uh the Nas album called Illmatic like to me now it is just you could play it at my funeral or it's like a lullaby to put me to sleep it has become this like it's like a part of me uh, and I just love it it's such an incredible glimpse into like his like a world that's not our own um so yeah there's a lot of gonna be a lot of inspiration from 90s
0: music excellent a lot of nirvana i hope and uh as you said rage and yeah pearl jam pearl Jam. Oh, but temple of uh, is it temple of the dog the super group with um
1: um yeah i got a feeling they're temple of the dog? yeah yeah something like that they're like late 90s almost early 2000s mm. but uh, what are they from stone temple pilots i think was there was the band that they came from or maybe the lead singer or whatever but yeah there's a few bands like it always happens there's a few bands i just can't connect with yeah um, oh boy i just thought of something i don't even know if i should say it <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll go backwards to ease the thing but like when it comes to uh like 90s like i i do like them i do like them and some of their songs are incredible but pearl jam Mm-hmm. I had never been able to quite totally connect with when someone's like this album is a perfect album. I'm just like, okay. Um, but I mean, obviously to each their own people think the same thing about my albums. Um and then what is there's another band in that in that time that's just like everyone just loves them. And I'm just like, the whoever sings Black Hole Soundgarden who sings Black Hole Sun.
0: Yeah, yeah, like yeah.
1: to me, Black Hole Sun is awesome. And then every other song, I just couldn't it would never click in my head to ever want to hear it again. Um and then for the 80s, that kind of went for Metallica which obviously I appreciate them musically, but I could just never get my brain to differentiate from one song to the next for the most part. Yeah. And then with the old music, it was the Beatles.
0: Um, okay. I- I'm glad you said that. Okay, yeah. I- I'm going to say this. I was about to say something controversial. I yeah. appreciate the era that they came out. I appreciate the music. I understand the power and how important they were and how special and how unique they were there was nothing like them in the world well, if you're the first and you come out everyone just sits back and goes what the hell is this i've never seen like like you know i can't and i can appreciate it yeah i don't particularly like music. <laughs> yeah. like elvis presley uh, that i get i get that I, I can sit back and listen to him all day amazing the beatles i go yeah it's all right <laughs> yeah i mean god i'm I kind love of him. alone with that though. but oh. I, I say that
1: yeah I tried and tried and tried and tried, but there's a few songs like, well, my guitar gently weeps. I love it. But besides that, you know, when I looked like what, what's the best album of all time? And people say, I think it's the white album. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, no, we just lost every viewer. <laughs> <Yeah>. Hi everyone. <laughs> yeah. If you think the white album is good, may <laughs> I introduce you to meatloaf's that of hell um, which is superior in every single way. Oh, wow (laughs) okay (laughs)
0: yeah all right we've lost some fans (laughs) bye everyone thanks for watching if you're still watching i know that's my hot take you know it's just there's some bands i like you (laughs) i just i just can't get into i just i just struggle i can't connect to them for whatever reason whether it's I'm the wrong age group. But but I can go back and listen to some bands from the 70s and listen to them the first time and go, this is amazing. Exactly. This is like unbelievable, you know? Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, for, yeah, music is so
1: subjective that, you know, if someone doesn't like somebody that I like, I'm never going to put them down.
0: Yeah. Like, I didn't get into Fleetwood Mac until my late 20s. I, mm-hmm. I, I was vaguely aware of them. I'd hear songs on the radio and go, oh, yeah, that's pretty good. And then at some point someone went, Here's this album, go home and listen to it. I listened yeah. to rumors and went, that's one of the best things I've ever heard from start to finish. Oh, yeah. I'm in, I'm in, that's it, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, and I listened to a lot of rumors right in Kings of the Wild.
1: They went on repeat over and over and over again.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And the same goes for Rush. Like Ready Player One was the song. And there's a, one of the trials in Ready Player One, he has to play the yes. opening notes of a Rush song. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go play this song. And turns out that song is a 17 minute space opera you know, about an intergalactic <laughs> evil priests trying to stamp out all music. And it's like, it's incredible. Um, so yeah, sometimes it takes a while to get into music. Obviously, it took me a long time in my life to get into all these genres, so.
0: Fair enough. So uh, back on book three, do you know anything about the release date? Is there any kind of, uh, do you have an update? No, not really. Like I said, I've,
1: been ri- I've written written so many openings to it. And um. I do have one that I'm fixed on now and I love it. So hopefully I'll get motoring on it, but yeah, my unfortunate editors have been very patient with me because yeah. And then just, I don't know, dark times, dark times these days. So I think they've kind of affected a lot of people and some people more than others, but I've definitely struggled to be creative in the last year or so. So uh, hopefully, well, those of us who were affected by it uh, have seen a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. So uh, yeah. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll yeah things will pick up soon. Okay. But boy, once it's once I'm just like even on a roll with it, I think like if I told my editor I was halfway done, they'd be like, "This book is pretty much done. I just need to get past it <laughs> over that opening hump for me." Um, and yeah, I'm very eager to share the cover with people because I've s- not seen the cover like well over a year ago. Ah. Not phenomenal, but I, they won't they won't let me share it. Uh, no, no. I, I on, is, that's worthy of it.
0: Yeah, I sat on my new cover for like three or four months before I could show anybody. So yeah, um, it's always good when you you just want to share it with people, but you're sat in you're like I can't say anything. It's so frustrating. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: but yeah, no. As soon as uh, as soon as I want to roll with it, I will crawl from the rooftops because I'll be so damn happy about it. So.
0: Mm. So here's a good question from Holly. She said uh, she knows you're, you're you're passionate about video games. She'd love to hear your thoughts on the rise of uh, gaming-inspired w- um, writing, whether it's crossovers or uh, is it lit RPG books and that kind of stuff. Do you do you know about that kind of thing?
1: Yeah, a little bit. I've read uh, one of the more famous, or like, I guess I think I think famous of books in that series. Uh, Sufficiently advanced magic, I believe it's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andrew Rowe, and it was great. Uh, that's the kind of thing that really, really appeals to me. I don't know if I'd ever write it, um, but I really love that genre only because I play a lot of video games, and I think that's it's just a fun way to do. It's a funny way to do things, and I've seen like I've watched some anime that's got similar themes in it. Um, that's like video games. You know, people whether they're trapped in them or playing in them or something like that. Um, but yeah, no, I mean. Video games themselves, uh, have done a lot in the last few years to catch up to, you know, writing wise, they're hiring real writers and, uh, or just, you know, people in them. I've written some incredible games. Uh, and so, yeah, the, line, the line's getting blurrier and blurrier and writing for a video game is definitely something I'd, I've done a little bit of it uh, last year. And then I would definitely love to do more of it in the future though, because video games, as Holly said, is a huge, huge, huge passion of mine. So what are you playing at the moment? uh these days i'm i've just been playing you know have you ever heard of total war the total war series
0: vaguely vaguely heard of it
1: where the first time i ever played total war i finished the battle and i was like this is what i was born to do <laughs> so that, like, I'm a huge history buff and the first one i played was uh it was a demo of rome total war where you were playing carthage ambushing the romans and that's like my favorite historical event of all time the punic War, so uh they're, they're kind of games they're kind of like civilization like top down city yeah. by city strategy and building but then when you go into the battles you've got you know thousands literally thousands of troops and units and you're moving them around and if you know if you're shooting someone on their side of their shield it does less damage if it's windy or rainy the arrows don't do as much damage and like and it sounds very technical but it's it they've made it into like a very kind of like friendly and easy way so i've been playing uh the Warhammer version of that, which is like just a fantasy battles. And it's just nice. it's so extremely well done. Mm. Um, and I'm kind of just, I don't want to get into anything because cyberpunk 27, seven is 10 days away as we record this. And I don't, I mean, I think everyone who plays video games will be playing that all at once. <laughs> so
0: yeah. Everyone's ordering all of the PlayStation fives and, uh, <laughs> yeah but they're like you know golden ticket at the moment getting hold of one yeah
1: so Real i mean that, that's when you can play on any of the systems so i'm i'll be playing on my ps4 but uh but yeah i can't wait i love cyberpunk the idea like i it's a terrible title don't get me started but i love the idea like that genre mm. um and so i just can't wait to jump into that world mm. It can have no story whatsoever just allow me to drive around a cyberpunk city at night and i <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's it you just do that all day
1: <laughs> a little like synthwave music i'm good
0: yeah, yeah fair enough yeah. are there any um like game franchise you'd love to write a novel in whether it's a tie novel or something you know original is it something you think oh, i'd love to explore that world and do a novel and just go off and do stuff
1: um not so much video games i don't think i mean god i write way too slow and it requires way too much I, for me, like personal investment, I don't think I could write necessarily in like someone else's franchise per se, mm-hmm. but that said, um, the, the role-playing setting, uh, dark sun right. dragon setting. Um, they recently re-released it, whatever that dungeon Dragons was. I think it was fourth edition. That was just like doomed. Um, but I bought all the books because Dark Sun is like my bread and butter. Dark Sun to me was the coolest setting ever invented. It took place in a world, a fantasy world that had been devastated by magic. Um, and it, it was all like desert. And it invented so many cool things. In it, the elves were like nom- nomads mm-hmm. um, that rode from city to city and like stole stuff. The halflings were cannibals. Um, wow. There's gladiatorial arenas in every single city. Um, one of my ideas like, that I use in the book are these things called Argosies, which are kind of like my tour buses. Um, they had these things in Darkson that were Argosies that were just like massive like fortresses on wheels pulled by these huge um, like turtle-tortoise type things oh, yeah. uh, across the desert. Um, and there was like sorcerers in them called defilers that whenever they would use magic, it would like all the plants would turn to ash around them and stuff like that. Wow. The whole, the, the ocean was made of silt uh, and it required like psionics to psionics. Like the, as a term um, in Dungeons and Dragons was invented for dark sun.
0: because mm. so It was
1: the setting to kind of incorporate them. So they would, at least as far as I know, uh, you know, it would require psionics to, to float uh, the ships on the silt. It was just everything about it was so cool. It was great. So I would love to write like a dark sun book, but they don't make them
0: anymore. Uh, Do you ever dust off the old books? The old, get out the old D20?
1: From time to time, yeah. I, it's been a while since I had a regular group, um, mm. like a long while. Um, but uh, occasionally every Christmas, and I'm not going this year, but uh, a couple of my old friends go up to this remote cabin in uh, Quebec uh, that is just blanketed in snow. And we eat terrible food and play, uh, D&D for about three or four days. So that sounds, that sounds pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm missing it this year, but, uh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, February I do it with a bunch of guys as well. Eight of us get together in a converted barn. It's lovely place. We like a few days stack of board games, beer, lots of bad food and, and good food. And, uh, all we do is play board games, yeah. watch DVD, and drink beer for three or four days in a row. Oh, that's pretty great. Have you ever played D and D, or do you play it? Oh yeah, yeah, I played it. I've played it a long time. Twenty, but I, I'm mean, like you. I haven't had a regular game, in yeah, over ten years. I just things have changed, and I've not had a chance to to play. My friend built his own system, and we used to play that. Yeah, um, oh, I've got my my bag of dice somewhere tucked away, you know, gathering <laughs> dust at the moment, but. No. Kind of, equally playing you know playing till the sun comes up at six o'clock and you just, you've just forgotten what time it is because you're just so busy involved yeah were you the DM or just a, or the player player, a player I once ran a game for a friend built uh, around um, the world of one of my books actually an early one it's not yeah it went okay but I was always like I just want to get in there and do stuff I don't want to be the GM <laughs> yeah do you know me? have you ever been a GM Uh
1: always only once have I ever been the player. Oh, really? Interesting. Uh, but, uh, when I got into it, it was I, I was young and I had a couple of friends that played with me and my brother. And so I was just the person that, that started. And then it just that's always kind of what I've done. And ah, uh, like I've torturing your
0: it. friends over several days.
1: Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. I wasn't I wasn't too harsh. I used to I like to I mean and I always paired music with it. Although nowadays, last time we went up to this cabin, we played a Kings of the Wild inspired one, which is easy to do because it's just like well, guess what? You guys are in a band. Um, um, although they weren't in a band, they were the people that go get the monsters so the band could come back and fight it. Um, um, but yeah, so it worked. It's really, really well. And I had each character pick a like a 70s or 80s theme song for their character that uh, I would have on hand. So if whenever they attempted something epic, I would play their, you know, Jesse's girl would come on or something like that. <laughs> or something, you know,
0: it was pretty fun. The closest I've had to that in the last few years was um, there were eight of us playing the Battlestar Galactica board game. Yeah. And we had, it's, it's amazing. If you haven't played it, it's so good. Yeah, and we had true. a Bluetooth speaker on in the back with all of the Bear McCreary soundtracks. And it got to one point where we all had to make a decision and we all stood around the table, we all stood up. <laughs> and then it was like, so say we all, so say we all. And the music's blaring, it gets to a critical moment. It, oh, you couldn't have timed it better and we've been playing yeah. like eight hours. that's, that's as close as I've got to role playing in a decade but yeah oh that's good yeah I've heard great things about that game It's a bit complicated, but once you understand it and you, you get into it, yeah the mechanics are really good and there's like a, a traitor mechanic with uh, cylons and you know if you're you find out if you're a skin job or not halfway through and it it's really cool it's really really good but yeah. That could definitely recommend it. And they're not even a sponsor. They could be. <laughs> so I guess you say you're still working on book three, but are you jotting down ideas for, for what's next? Do you, do you have a plan or are you going to think about it later?
1: Um, yeah, I've got a couple, a couple of different ideas floating around. One's definitely more prevalent than others. And it's kind of the one most likely that could be a series of books. Hmm. Um, whereas most ideas I have to me at least, I don't know, maybe it's just how my brain works, but work better as standalones. Yeah. Which granted, we are kind of in a day and age now where the standalone, I think is being a bit more widely accepted hmm. uh, than it used to be. Um, so yeah, maybe it depends which, which one, you know, either comes to f- the forefront in my mind or which one my agents and publishers think would be best.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <I'm> pretty <naive laughs> When it comes to other people's uh, opinions. So um, but yeah, there's one I definitely have in mind, uh, that I, that I would like to explore and it's kind of more of like a series kind of stuff.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: In fact, I used the person's name, um, which is my cat's name, Croft. Uh, I used it in book three and I actually took it out because I want to use it as the main character's last name. And if I did something else, so.
0: Fair enough. Yeah. 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 Sa- save it for later. Exactly. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for for talking to, to me about... Uh, My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Everything. Uh, for those who haven't yet, go out and check out uh, Kings of the Wild and The Bloody Rose. And I'll put all your links to social and stuff for people to get in touch with you and uh, follow you on there. But... Uh, pretty late at night here. Yeah, really late here. Yeah, I'm going to go and go to... Go oh, to no, i to go to bed. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So stay safe take care of yourself and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Bye everyone.